Father, we are so glad that you love us and that as we sang that Jesus loves us, uh, that love is the binding agent that brings us together and at times causes us to endure the pain of close proximity because of we as humans, although we've been made new in Christ, we still drag along these bodies of death. We're so grateful for your love and for that demonstration of love given at Calvary. The giving of one life that the many might be justified. We pray that this morning as we open your word that love will pour forth and that we will be children who are pleasing in your eyes and all that we do and say that we might grow closer together knit ever so tightly the body of Christ, our head in heaven, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, I came prepared to speak on the rapture, and as I sometimes do, I'm, I'm happy to announce and then pour out some speculation, only in that it points us to spiritual truths. You know, God is the one who made our brain, and he does want us to use it. He gave us that wonderful gift of curiosity that causes us to seek things out. And instead of speaking, I'll briefly talk a little bit about the rapture. Boy, that's going to be a glorious moment. Wouldn't it be wonderful that happens before I finish this sentence? At that moment, of course, um, all the frailties and pains of earth will pass away. Currently, we've had remove from our presence the penalty of sin and the power of sin. Yet while we're here on earth, we remain in the presence of sin. But at that moment, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, <laughs> will be gloriously pulled out of this sin-plagued earth. Now it's with some fear we think about that. We all have family and friends who don't know the Lord. And so we're anxious to remain and to see yet one more moment that someone else might come to a saving knowledge of our Savior who is dear to us. You know, we're the body of Christ. We are a family. And it's interesting that we who come from different earthly families yet we're in Christ, we're all one heavenly family. And we, of course, desire that all of those in our earthly family would join us in heaven. Well, I'm mostly just going to read scripture this morning. It's better to hear from the word of the Lord than some man speculate. Again, the rapture is a glorious thought, and I did come prepared for that, but perhaps the Lord will give a later date when we can, we can consider it more fully. I hadn't really thought to go to, um, you know, we've, we've spoken on Psalm 45 before, the Messianic Psalm of the, the wedding of the glorious king, and how it's a, a picture of the rapture. But I think we're going to start there in the Psalms. You know, the, the three Psalms leading up to Psalm 45 sort of are a, a picture of this church age. Psalm 42 is... Um, 
speaks of this great thirst we have for God. If we're in Christ, we should have this great thirst for God. Psalm 43 is a, a great prayer for deliverance. Psalm 44 remembers deliverances of the past and of the present trials and tribulations through which we pass. And you know, just because we're in Christ and we're heaven bound, it doesn't mean we don't face the trials and tribulations of this age. God knows that. And yet he doesn't allow us to face a temptation or a trial that is greater than the ability he has given us through the power of the Spirit to escape. Again, Psalm 45 is a, is, is a song celebrating the marriage of the king. It's, a, it's clearly a picture of our Lord and Savior when he comes at that glorious moment to call us to meet him in the air that we might forever be with him. Well, let's, let's read Psalm 46. It's a psalm of God is the refuge of his people. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam through the mountains quake at its swelling pride. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations make an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. In other words, consider that. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. These psalms here following Psalm 45 are a picture of the tribulation. A picture of what's going on on earth as well as our glorious dwelling with our precious Savior in heaven. Come, who behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Continuing in Psalm 47, O clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with the voice of joy. For the Lord most high is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdues people under, his, under us and nations under our feet. He chooses our inheritance for us, the glory of Jacob, whom he loves. God has ascended with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a skilled psalm. God reigns over the nations. He sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have assembled themselves as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Perhaps one more. Psalm 48. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. 
again, as we sang this morning, and as we considered the Lord of glory, and who can rise up and go up into the holy hill of God? Those who have been made just in Jesus Christ. And again, these psalms here are a picture of the church united with the groom, the Savior, the King, the Lord of glory. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the far north, the king, the city of the great king. God in her palaces has made himself known as a stronghold. For lo, the kings assembled themselves, they passed by together, they saw it, then they were amazed, they were terrified, they fled in alarm. Panic seized them there, anguish as of a woman in childbirth. With the east wind, you break the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish her forever. Selah. Forever. We have thought on your loving kindness, O God, in the midst of your temple. As is your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion and go around her. Count her towers. Consider her ramparts. Go through her palaces that you may tell it to the next generation. For such is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us until death. The rapture is a beautiful thought. It is a promise of God. The promise of God brings protection. When we have thrown ourselves at the foot of Calvary and trusted in the finished work of Christ, we are forever protected from the penalty of sin. And at that moment, we're baptized into the body of Christ. We're given the Holy Spirit as a comforter, as a guide, as a present power to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But the promise of God also gives us eternal protection, and we've just read about it in these three psalms, again, following Psalm 45. A picture of judgment, tribulation on the earth, which we witness today. How much greater during the time of Jacob's trouble. And yet in these same psalm we see the church united with her beloved in heaven. Let's go to Romans. Um, as I said, I'm just basically going to read scripture with little comment. Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who, who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? 
For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That should always be our, our foundation, that all that we do brings glory to God. As Paul would say to the Corinthians, chiding them in 1 Corinthians 4, what do you have that you have not received? Our pride puffs us up and we think, well, well I've got this, or I am this. No, I'm, I am what the Lord has made me and what I have allowed his spirit to change in me, to work, to conform me to the image of Christ. Romans chapter 12, therefore I urge you, because of this truth we've just read in the 11th chapter, Paul says, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. I will stop to say a sacrifice doesn't have much of a will of its own. When it's freely given, it's offered up with no expectation of being released. Present your body as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Again, that's the one thing that will heal over the wounds that we cause upon ourselves and upon others. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in the spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, now in light of what's happened this morning, you may think I'm, I'm speaking to an individual. I'm, I'm speaking first to myself. I'm speaking to the body of Christ that we as believers, that we love one another, that we comfort one another, we build one another up. As we, you know, a couple messages ago when I was speaking on the gifts of the Spirit, we went through this passage. There's an obligation that we serve one another, 1 Peter 4, 7. As each one has received a special gift, use it in serving others as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God has given us all this stuff. What do we do with it? You know, it's, it's, it's humanly impossible to live this chapter, isn't it? But we're not really human anymore. We have the vestiges of humanity with all the dregs and all the things that pull us down. But we're new creatures in Christ. We've been given the Spirit to guide us. It gives us strength that we, we don't have. If we'll mortify the flesh and set it aside, the Spirit is free to work. Let's jump over to uh, Romans 14. We'll, we'll think briefly about conviction, conscience, and consideration. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? We're servants of the living God. Now, we, we do serve one another, but we're servants of the living God. No, the, who does that master answer to? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day as another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, we want our convictions to be based on Scripture and follow our convictions. And we have a framework in which we're to manifest it. And as I, hopefully as I read through Scripture this morning, we're going to see that as a family, our goal ought to be to build up the saints. That's the job of the church, to bring glory to our head, who is in heaven, Jesus Christ. Verse 7 says, For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But why? Why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Now, as I mentioned in my prefacing comments about the rapture, you know, it's going to be glorious that we're removed from the frailty of, of human flesh and of sin. And we are going to stand before our Savior and give an account, not for our sins, they've been put away, 
but perhaps for our lack of diligence in, our, in prosecuting the duties that the master has assigned to us as individuals and as a corporate body. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.10 is, to me, it's, it's, it causes to well up within me not only the sense of awe and longing to be with my Savior, but a recognition he's going to ask me what I've done with what he's given me. For we shall receive recompense for our deeds, be they good or evil, it tells us. Again, don't misread that. Our sins are put away. But there'll be loss of reward. We shouldn't think lightly of that. No, he's given us a, a picture here, the Apostle Paul, how to live with conviction, with conscience. Verse 18, for he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil, for the man who eats gives offense. And you could say, well, this is talking about food. Well, that's a picture of the things which are temporal of this earth. Verse 21, if I could read it this way, it is good not to do anything by which your brother stumbles. And if what we say or do stumbles, even one in the flock, it, it shouldn't be done. Some are stronger than others, but we need to minister especially to the weak. Chapter 15, let's read a few verses there. Now, we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in early times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of scriptures we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us, to the glory of God. Oh, that we could make that true in our lives. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. We'll spend a little time in 1 Corinthians 13. Let's read some out of 1 Corinthians 12. First Corinthians 12, beginning with verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, and we were made to drink of one Spirit, for the body is not one member, but many.
1 Corinthians 13. Now, this entire section of 1 Corinthians, really beginning with 1 Corinthians 9, and perhaps uh, concluding at the end of chapter 14, it's instruction to the church when they get together how they should meet and how they should behave. The Corinthian church needed uh, correction. They were given reproof and they needed correction. 1 Corinthians 9, 9 ends with, we, we have to do all things according to the rules. In 1 Corinthians 10, it's all about the glory of God. That continues into the 11th chapter. In 12, on how to serve one another through the spiritual gifts. And in 13, it gives us the foundation upon which all of these actions must be built. Even that which, of, that which we were singing. If I speak with the tongues of men, of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. If there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly but then, face to face, I know in part, but I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. We can do everything perfectly correctly, and yet if I do it without love, my scripture, it has, it's valueless. You know, again, Paul speaking in 1 Corinthians 3 of what's going to happen at the judgment seat where our works are going to be tested by fire. All the works of wood, hay, stubble are going to disappear. He even warns there be some who all their works burn up, yet they themselves will be saved as if passing through fire. Pretty safe to say that if our work is not done with love, it's going to burn up. The condemnation for the church of Ephesus, which clung to the word of God and refused false teachers, was that they had left their first love. Christ had that against them. We come every Lord's Day, as we've done today, to the worship service to remember the Lord, to express our love. And the way to continue that worship service is to 
maintain that love for Christ and share it with others in our actions, our deeds, our thoughts, our words. That we reflect the glory of God into a dark and dying world. Let's go over to Ephesians 4. A fairly, again, predictable passage as we, th we think about this. We'll actually start in Ephesians 3, verse 14. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Four dimensions there, the three physical and, and time. And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may feel, be filled up to all the fullness of God. As I said, we look at Romans chapter 12. How is it possible for us to live that? It's not, but it is possible with the love of Christ in us. And Manifesting, remember that word manifesting in the Greek, it's to shine forth, to pour out of us this which cannot be contained if we have the love of Christ and we feed it and nourish it by the word of God. Then like the writer of Psalm 45, we can say, my tongue is the pen of a ready writer, my heart overflows. Now to him is who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And what do we have that we have not received? We have received all. And from the blood poured out of Christ, we have received the eternal gift, the full measure, the greatest grace. Now, every gift is charis, is a gift. Everything that comes from God to us is a gift. The greatest gift being his son and the life which we have in him. It talks about the, the gifts that Christ gives to the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping up of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, 
to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed there, here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. No one member of the body is more important than the other. Not the youngest of saints and not the eldest of the elders. There are various responsibilities that we each have, but the command is the same, to dwell together as much as it is possible and depends on us in peace with one another. And that's our goal, or it ought to be. So I say this and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. We're not in that group. Even if, and I confess, those of you who have known me for a number of years, you know, at times I have a hardness of heart. Who amongst us is without blame? Zero. None. Knowing that, we ought to guard ourselves, as we were reading in Romans chapter 14, by matters of conviction, those things we know are true, by matters of conscience, those things we don't want our conscience to be bruised, and then also of consideration for those around us. Again, this, this is a message for each of us. The scripture goes out and it returns. As the Lord said through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55, he says, you know, my ways are higher than your ways. You're not going to understand me, he says. He says, ah, but even as the rain and snow that I pour out upon the hills and the valley, bringing forth its abundance, seed for the sower and grain for the baker. So my word will not return again unto me void without accomplishing that purpose for which I sent it forth. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You know, we, again, we're prone to assign a specific meaning to a passage or a word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And most Christians, me as well, often say, Sign that to reaching the lost. And gloriously, that's true. But it's no less true that when we hear the word of God, the grace of God pours forth. Our faith is strengthened. And the more obedient we become to the word of God, the greater growth, the greater impact on our individual lives and the greater glory that the Lord of glory receives and our Father in heaven. First couple verses of Ephesians chapter 5, 
and after speaking about many of these, you know, letting all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. The closing verses of the, the fourth chapter. At the opening verses of the fifth chapter, Paul again says, therefore, because of that, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And walk in love just as Christ. You know, is our walk Christ-like? I have to confess no. I certainly strive for that to be in evidence. I'm continually in need of the grace. You know, we looked at in Hebrews chapter 4. We come before the throne of God seeking mercy and grace in our time of need. When do we not have a time of need? Philippians chapter 2. Again, in the walk of Christ, to imitate the walk of Christ. There can be no higher calling and no more successful outcome for our life in that we imitate the walk of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, United in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. And do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance of, as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Praise God, we don't have to walk that part of the walk, to earn our salvation. That work is finished by Christ. But the humility, the love and the obedience, that is the walk in the mind of Christ we're to imitate and walk. And yes, it is true. Many believers have been called to martyrdom. Many more will occur to those who come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ during the tribulation. But Christ bore much more than any of them will ever bear. In the three dark hours, he bore the wrath of God in order that the love of God might be poured out upon us. Verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work 
for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. You know, in Colossians 2, we're told not to be taken captive by philosophy, or as Jay would say, philosophy, empty deception, according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete, and he is head over all rule and authority. He echoes some of his thoughts, in, uh, as we've already read, but in uh, the third chapter of Colossians, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And we, jumping down to verse 17 of the third chapter of Colossians, it says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. As Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Why do you say you love me? And do not do what I command. You know, James tells us we're to consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's hard to, for us to accept trials and tribulations with joy. But he tells us, blessed is the man who perse perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. James continues, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of firstfruits among his creatures. I'll just finish with a few verses out of 1 John, chapter 4. Again, speaking of love. 1 John, chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 
By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. chapter finishes with, and this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. The word of the Lord was outbreathed by God, as we're told in, in the ESV version of 2 Timothy 3.16, it is outbreathed. It was God giving the word to us. It's inspired. God breathes into it life, but he out, the way they put it there, it's outbreathed. It's given to us. And what will we do with it? We all know these passages. They're very, very familiar. In all that we do, if we seek to bring glory to God, the shine, the loving God that is in heaven, the glory of Christ, and the beauty of salvation through the one offered up for us. Our foundation needs to be love. We have all the other things that are necessary. Diligence, service, obedience. They're not reduced, but the foundation upon which they are exercised must be love. Otherwise, as we're told in 1 Corinthians 13, they are utterly without value. Father, we do come to you with grateful hearts that you have loved us so. What manner of love is this that thou hast bestowed upon us? We should be called your children. Oh, to witness, out, witness the outpouring of blood from your Son on our behalf. Ungrateful creatures we are. Oh, the pain that must have been endured as you poured out your wrath on your Son that was meant and deserved by us. And yet this immeasurable grace has been poured out without measure beyond any possibility of the human mind understanding. You've poured it out freely and fully, forever washing away the penalty of sin for all who will receive, for all who will believe, for all who will trust. And Father, we ask that you would um, pour out a spirit of healing, of reconciliation, of love, of conviction, of brotherly love. Fights are bruising, and fights amongst family are devastating. Bless us with your presence, with the power of your spirit, and with an outpouring of love 
which proves that it is supernatural. And amongst us, by the very presence of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who dwells amongst us in the Spirit who indwells us. Our earnest desire is that we bring glory to you, Father, and to your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.